Hello everyone, welcome to episode 135 of Manage the Wild. I'm Nick Madsen. Today I had the wonderful opportunity to sit down and talk with Brent Lawner from Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. He is a wildlife biologist and we were able to talk about how bighorn sheep are doing in the state of Montana. So go ahead, sit back, relax, and enjoy. I reached out to you guys because I'm curious about uh, bighorn sheep because it's facing challenges all over the West and you guys are also facing some challenges. I just reached out to you guys so you could talk a little bit about the bighorn sheep population in the state of Montana and then how you guys are working through all the challenges that they face. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a big question. (laughs) Yeah, we can start really small. Like, where is your population in Montana? How are they doing? Yeah. Yeah, so statewide, and and I can refer this kind of on the hunting district level. I know it's not hunting focused necessarily. No, no, it, it doesn't matter. Whichever direction you want to take it, I'm comfortable. Okay, okay. So statewide from Montana, we have about 30 to 35 hunting districts that are specific to bighorn sheep. And those are targeting basically roughly 30 to 35 what we would consider somewhat unique populations of sheep, even though there's certainly metapopulations where we know there's mingling between wild sheep species or wild sheep, bighorn sheep, Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep from Montana between groups. Um, but just to parcel that out, that's just, just for reference on a statewide level. These are a lot of these places are the western half or the western third of the state, although we do have some populations out east and probably the Missouri River Breaks area is the big one um, where we have uh, wild Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep. And on a statewide level, all these different areas cumulatively were probably, and this is based on um, basically estimates, professional biologist estimates in these areas. So it's not like a rigorous statistical approach of how many sheep are in these areas. Basically on our surveys and what we know and the knowledge of the distribution of these sheep, how many are in these areas, we're figuring most recently, this was as of last year, we're close to about 4,800 sheep. So just a little bit shy of 5,000 sheep um, for the state for that we know of. And that's about as close as we can get to a, a state estimate. And that's those are sheep within state jurisdiction. So it doesn't include sheep in Glacier National Park or maybe on some of the... The federally. Um, the, well, more outside of Glacier Park and some of the uh, reservations that we have, the Native American reservations we have. Is that, are you guys below objective on those? Are you trying to grow that population or? Yeah, so objective's relative. So objective, we, we, our objectives are tied to, to more to these local populations. So these, some objectives, it's the full spectrum. Some object, some of these areas are right at objective. Some are certainly below we probably have more sheep i know we have more sheep populations below objective than we have above objective and some of that's related to more of the recent issues especially with disease and die-offs that we've had in the last decade plus um certainly some areas too are basically right where we'd like to be able to see 
overall numbers wise. But then within those objectives, we have different sub objectives of lamb U ratios and ram U ratios, um, population targets, and certain other objectives depending on the area. So it really varies. If you looked at the big picture perspective of sheep in Montana, total numbers compared to long-term average, what we know of long-term average estimates for sheep, we would be below, I think we're probably somewhere around, I want to say around 10 to 15% below long-term average for our total sheep numbers in the state. And that's really looking at sheep populations probably over the last, since the 80s, probably close to about 40 years. Yeah, I was, I was looking at uh, your your bighorn sheep conservation strategy, and it looks like since the, the 80s, it uh, looks like 2010 was probably your highest. Yeah, 2010 was somewhere right in there, I'm thinking, is right when we close to about peaked. And it's funny, right then, 2010 and 11, right around that period, that 2010 time frame, is when we had multiple die-offs occur in the state. Were those all disease-related? Yeah, the bulk of those were pretty much predominantly all disease-focused. Um, related and that's obviously the number one issue for wild sheep populations in western north america is just disease related stuff but but we're doing if you looked at montana i think our estimates are right around 1950 or so or in the 50s was right around 1200 sheep i mean that's a very rough estimate but yeah that's uh what it looks like on that graph line yeah so that's that's 70 years ago, so we're certainly have improved and the distribution's improved, the number of sheep have improved overall numbers since that time, but now it's just trying to get to that stable number of of sheep, you know, locally or statewide. That's kind of never-ending, just like with any wildlife population. The uh, die-offs, are, are they continuing? Are they ongoing? Are you still facing die-offs today, or have they kind of subsided for a little bit, or...? For the most part, to the best of my knowledge, and I actually had to ask this question to several of our statewide wildlife managers recently, for the most part, um, no significant die-offs occurring. We have one area that we're trying, um, at least in Region 4 where I'm at, where we have tried to do some, basically establish a, more or less establish a new population of sheep based on historical knowledge of sheep being there and sheep habitat certainly being available there. So if that's in the little belts, we have tried that, augmented that area the last two years. Um, and unfortunately those sheep are, have and are going through kind of a combination of um, disease related issues, die off and predation issues, mainly mountain lions. So that's kind of ongoing monitoring what's gonna happen there and what we're gonna do there long-term. Otherwise, on a statewide level, um, I don't have any knowledge of any disease epidemics or going on, at least in local populations. So what we're dealing with now in a lot of these areas where we have had die-offs is trying to better understand um, how to manage those areas, um, you know, to have sheep recovery in time. And it's the full spectrum of pretty intense research that's gone on to better understand and what we can do other fairly hands-off approach and just let sheep do their thing. And hopefully things will, will recover in time, depending on the history of those populations 
or the extreme end is what we did in the Tendoys, Tendoy Mountains here more recently, and just basically go through and extirpate that herd and try and start fresh based on just historical stagnant low numbers of sheep with ongoing disease. And let's just, if they're not going to do anything, we're not going to put more sheep in a place where it could just exasperate the issue and cause more problems. Let's Yeah. Is that like a shedding issue with like mycoplasma where they're constantly shedding, even though they're not showing any symptoms? Yeah. I think that's and mycoplasma ovi pneumoniae. Sounds like you're aware of that. That's, yeah, I worked on a project uh, here in Utah where we had the same. We had yeah. to wipe out a population, then bring some more in. Yep. And that's the first time that I'm aware of in Montana that I can recall that we've done that on, you know, to physically go in and let's just start fresh and try and cull everything out of there. But that mycoplasma is kind of the biggie that, on a west-wide level that we've pretty well honed in on a lot of effort to understand what's going on with all these different pathogens. And that's the one that routinely pops up as being one of the main culprits that basically causes, um, basically it causes, maybe, you know, it causes the, these pneumonia epizootics to occur in places that it suppresses their lungs to the point where creates the ability for these other pathogens to kick in and take over and cause pneumonia and then eventually die from it. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, 28 quarantine sheep that I was over a quarantine facility and watched over a period of five weeks where the first animals that were brought in were infected and it spread through all 28. And you could just witness those. That uh, population that you're talking about that you're trying to decide whether you're going to cull or... Or are you going to continue to augment? Uh, are they yeah, near they're, they're like both. grazing? Is, is there grazing allotments near there? Do you think that sheep were the were the main cause? Yeah, and so I'm I'm assuming you're referring to the little belt yeah. population. And yeah, so for those sheep, we are not aware of any of any uh, uh, basically commingling events with, with domestic sheep. And we know there's domestic sheep in the area. Jake Colby is our biologist down there, and he did a phenomenal effort trying to work with everybody in that area. If we're going to do this, we all got to be on the same page and try and make the most of this. And every sheep that was put in there, and it was a collaborative effort with a lot of different groups uh, beyond just FWP, but a, um, every sheep was collared gps collared um so you could get those fine movements of sheep over the course of a year or, you know days or weeks or months or whatever it is they had geofence capability built into those collars so when they would go outside a certain zone based on the configuration of the collars it would give alerts to emails and texts so we know if those sheep were starting to wander if there was a wander or two or a group especially related to domestics in the area and, you know, make decisions from there if there was a potential conflict. And to the best of our knowledge, based on on that information, as well as just observation of these sheep over the course of the first few months and year plus, there wasn't any commingling events. And in, in fact, I think what, what we believe happened was sheep that were brought in in the second round might have had I think a couple, couple ewes that were uh, positive, basically shedders of something like pneumonia or MOV, 
mycoplasma ovi pneumoniae and they may likely have been the culprits that actually created the the the, 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 the beginnings of the die-off but that's my understanding i'd have to ask jay to yeah speak to the details no that's so. that's just challenging when you're trying it's to frustrating. Aug- yeah, yeah augment a population and something like that happens I was involved in an event where we brought some sheep in from out of state. And as soon as we got across the state lines, uh, one of the first sample popped positive for MOV. And uh, that was the downfall of those 28. They were all actually brought in from out of state to start a new population near Salt Lake. And uh, we just had to quarantine every one of them as it spread through the entire tire group yep. so no it's it's just yeah. to to work through that and get everything all planned and get everything all set up and which population can you augment from and not have detrimental effects and yep and it's ongoing it's, it's the more i always say the more we learn i think the better we get at managing and how we can you know keep sustainable good levels of sheep healthy herds on the landscape and the in a lot of places, but it's almost like the more we learn, the more we're reluctant to actually do anything because you're worried about, well, if we did this, what if we create something else? And with the, with these sheep, you never know when, when you might have that one individual that maybe came up as a false positive or something in testing or a false negative. False negative, yeah. And false negative, and then you, and you release them, and all of a sudden you got sheep starting to cough and get sick and die out there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the testing is getting better too. You're you're finding better. You're getting less uh, false negatives, false positives. I think the testing is getting to the point where there's always going to be some of that. But the more we test and how we test and different labs we can send things to and get multiple samples. Like if we're going to do tonsil swabs, we'll get instead of you know years ago maybe we just one and that was all we would do and now we're doing you know three or four or five so we can test multiple times to get a confirm that the, that things are clean or or not and i know there's other stuff going on that i'm not even aware of for testing which we're always trying to improve the testing ability which hopefully does serves that purpose in time and actually improves our ability to detect these things before we have these widespread issues if we're going to continue to try and augment sheep in places um so disease is obviously the main factor that a lot of people are facing are you guys in montana facing like habitat issues i don't really know much about i've, I've been to montana obviously but i've never lived there are you yeah. guys facing the loss of habitat like utah and some of these other states are i don't think to the degree again i can't yeah up maybe say 100 percent across the board but i think on small areas there can be some changes in habitat that are influencing maybe in a negative way sheep you know whether it's a a climate change thing whether it's fragmentation whether it's uh dug fur encroachment on winter range or in certain areas i think in some places it's on a smell level it's occurring and i know some of our biologists are looking at habitat type improvements in some of these places but for the most part on a statewide level i think it's the habitat issues pretty decent on you know for at least sheep or we know their distribution is on a year-round basis that's awesome that's cool yeah and we don't have the 
population. I mean, we COVID hit and we got more people moving to the state, but you know, we're still sitting on a statewide level at just over a million people. And a lot of these places where sheep are not everywhere, but a lot of them are away from these populaces where it's, you don't have the, you know, that human impact and encroachment necessarily. Yeah. More remote. not everywhere. I mean, there's, yeah. Right. Uh, on a management uh, level, uh, as far as hunting opportunities, are you, is, is the state of Montana more conservative? Are they trying to grow more quality animals or is it uh, quantity yeah. versus quality? It's yeah, that's, that's, I think you hit it the nail on the head right there. It's both. So do you have units where you're, you're just trying to get as many people out there to get tags and then you have other units where it's more, we want a quality unit, little older class. The bulk of them, by far, the bulk of them are focused on more of that quality. Those to, to to have that older age ram opportunity when and if people you know draw, we're lucky enough to draw one of those limited tags. Um, so the bulk of the state is focused on quality. We do have some places where our, our population levels are are high enough or decent enough, um, you know, especially above, at least at or maybe above population objective where we do have you hunting opportunity for adult use so that's more of just that opportunity but that's an ongoing balance with augmentation and translocation work so if we have places where we have a surplus of sheep based on objective it's having that balance of you know having some and it depends on you know at one's perspective having the balance and be able to hunt use for opportunity for hunting versus using those sheep to have um to, to surplus other areas is you know like a a source herd i guess for some of these other places so it's both the one of the unique things for that we have in our state too is a handful of hunting districts that are run on a quota system so that's where we want to maintain quality but anybody can apply for those tags. So that's where you're getting the quantity. And that's where, yeah, if you want to go to hunt a sheep every year, you can get one of those tags, buy one of them, get one of those, those um, quota system area tags, those licenses, and go hunt a sheep. It doesn't affect if you, it, that seven-year wait that we have as a state, so if somebody's successful, um, on the limited areas if they're successful just drawing the tag whether they shoot something or not it's the seven-year wait kicks in they can't apply for at least seven years quota system areas i think there's four or maybe five of them i can't remember um you can apply for those and that seven-year wait doesn't take effect until you actually harvest something and so you can hunt those every year are they any sex or is it males only or um usually those are illegal ram legal ram areas yeah focus just on rams otherwise all these other limited tags are either sex tags but 95 plus percent of all the sheep taken on those are rams or rams that's cool i like that you guys are so it gives everybody a chance if they want now they just yep. got to beat the next guy to them but at least it's tough because right yeah 
at least to give a chance, but it's a quota. So as soon as the quota is met, I, I forget how, if it's a 12 or maybe a 24 hour um, closure status on those. I can't remember how, how long it is, but yeah, then you're done. So <laughs> you got to get in there quick. Sometimes you do because you get a few hundred people that have those tags, not that they're all going out there, but it's, it can be kind of competitive, I think, at times. So. Yeah. The last question, I, I appreciate you being on here. Uh, just one yeah. more question. You'd mentioned in your email uh, about the different working groups that you are working with for Bighorn Sheep. Can you talk about the role of these working groups and how they play into management? Sure. Yeah, and the biggest working group that I can really talk to or speak to is more something that I've been more recently involved with the last couple of years. And that it used to be called the wild sheep working group. I think that, well, the name's changed in the wild sheep initiative. It's correlated with the Western association of fish and wildlife agencies. WAFWA. Just, yeah. WAFWA, just like mule deer working group and others. Um, so that one is, there's a lot of communication and basically within folks in that group. And it's basically representatives on a Western North American level from all the different states and provinces primarily um, talking about all things, basically always trying to continue to learn from each other. What are, what's going on and other places and how, how does that correlate to what we're doing and how can we, learn from, you know, good, bad, or indifferent things that are going on in a lot of different places. And I think the more we learn, the more we communicate, the more we understand we're all dealing with a lot of the same issues, um, just in, you know, different levels to some degree. And that's all wild sheep. So that's anything from thin horn sheep to big horn sheep, from Alaska all the way down to, you know, the New Mexico, Arizona, Texas places. Are you finding a lot of this? You're, you're finding a lot of the same issues, whether it's Alaska yeah. or New Mexico or similar. Arizona. Disease issues is pretty similar, not exactly the same, but pretty similar in a lot of these places. Um, certainly some places deal more with certain issues than others. Like we were just talking about um, habitat focused things. The habitat issues in Nevada or New Mexico might be totally different than what we deal with here. I know one of the things they deal with down there is lack of water at times. So they have to develop water systems to help wild sheep be maintained out there. And here we don't have that issue. It might be, you know, difficult winters that create, you know, large scale or to some degree large scale die-offs, but that's a weather related issue. You know, that we might deal with more um and then different different uh human impacts in places based on like we talked about based on human presence changing over time predation issues are different depending on other areas so there's there's a lot of similarities on a like that 10,000 foot perspective is just when you hone into the weeds, it's a little bit different. <laughs> the more fine scale, more right. local issues. Yeah. Are you seeing uh, states out there that are having more success with uh, working with the disease or is it just all across the board? It's just so it's difficult. Across, it's across the board. A lot of us, and there's been a ton of communication on disease and wild sheep and a lot of research and a lot of good stuff 
that we're learning. It's just how do you go about trying to change the path of what disease is doing on wild sheep in places. And um, so it's challenging. And it's, I think as soon as you think you might have a, something figured out with sheep, they, um, something else occurs and you weren't tracking it. And I always joke that the sheep's sole goal in life is just to find a place to die. And I think there's <laughs> a little bit of truth to that. It's <laughs> so true. But, it's so but, true. Yeah, but I think that's just the, they're just so susceptible to a lot of things. Um, more so than, than some of these other big game species that we deal with, I think, at times. And especially disease for whatever reason the the immune system of a sheep just seems to struggle with a lot of disease related things and um they're just susceptible to a lot and a lot of that comes back to the commingling and concerns and both ways with wild and domestic sheep and that's an ongoing thing we're actually montana we're just getting underway on a large-scale statewide project that's going to be starting off here in the next year about looking at um, working with wool growers and working with Montana State University and Fish, Wildlife and Parks and Landowners, um, looking at, and uh, Wild Sheep Foundation, working with, um, looking at sheep, wild sheep in certain places related to co-mingling on the ground. Basically trying to learn from each other if we're gonna get over this hump of disease, if there is a correlation there, how can we work together hopefully? down the road yeah that's a, i think it's a great project yeah that's a such a challenging one too because all the parties sure. that are going to be impacted sure because yep. in certain areas you're asking forest service to shut down allotments and yep then you yep. got to work with the wool growers because it's impacting their livelihood so oh definitely a lot right, of yep. communication that has to go on there yep yeah it's, it's difficult but i think if we want to move forward with trying to get over this and and have healthy, sustainable wild sheep in places, as well as have, you know, domestic sheep on the ground for, you know, the reasons we have domestic sheep. I, I think this more of this communication and research and understanding really has to occur down the road. So. Well, thank you for, for coming on. I appreciate yeah. that. Taking a little time out of your day. I know you guys are busy. Spring counts. Oh, you bet. No, but no problem. Happy to visit anytime. So. I appreciate that. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast with Brent Lawner, Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks, Wildlife Biologist. It was an honor to have him on and to talk about bighorn sheep. If you guys liked today's episode, go ahead and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Let your friends family know about it if you have any questions or people you'd like us to interview go ahead and hit us up let us know thanks have a great day stay wild